You're listening to the Get Fucking Real Show. Strap in as your host, Lisa Cherney, takes you on a ride full of GFR moments. From powerful messages to exclusive interviews to untold stories of super shitty moments before big successes. And even real-life confessions. Lisa's been mentoring millionaire entrepreneurs for over 20 years, coaching top coaches and tapping her mighty woo-woo side to mentor the best of the best spiritual peeps. It's time to bring on the straight talk from successful, soulful entrepreneurs, inspiring you to live without regrets, to create your legacy, and be unapologetically you. And now, it's time to GFR. Life is too short to be a slave to your own dream Cause I'm working too hard And I want to feel so alive I jump out of bed because I love my life Living on my terms, I know that I will thrive Being myself, clarity will arrive So I'll stand out and be J-U-I-C-Y Hello, welcome to the Get Fucking Real show. I'm Lisa Cherney, I'm your host, and I am so grateful in this moment that there is this platform that is this show to tell the stories that we are telling. Oh my gosh, I cannot wait for you to meet Sherry Watson, who, like many of our guests, is literally a walking miracle. Let me ask you this. Could you imagine a scenario where you are in a coma, but trapped in your body, fully awake and aware? Your family is standing around your hospital bed, talking about you and the horrible predicament that you are in. They are in such pain. And you, trapped in your body, not able to move, fully alert know that you are actually in a better position than they are. You are feeling positive and confident that everything is okay. You are trusting in the power of your mind and what it can create for you. Can you imagine this scenario? <laughs> oh my gosh, it's so beyond anything that I could ever imagine walking through. And that is just the beginning of the story that you're about to hear from Sherry Watson. She is the co-founder and visionary officer of an organization called The Power of Purpose that formed, began its infancy when she was laying in the hospital in a coma. Part of her rehabilitation was that she formed a local support group for people with disabilities, and that launched what was to become an appointment from the President of the United States to a task force, to her being the President of the National Disability Association in Washington, D.C., that led the creation and development of the world-sweeping legislation Americans with Disabilities Act. She talks about people with disabilities. She, she says, you'll hear her very often say, we and us, and she is talking about the entire community that is Americans with Disabilities. She is phenomenally inspiring to talk to, and I, she's a new friend. I met her when I was the guest on a project that she did. Um, it was a, a, called a Super Summit on how to make money and do good, and I was honored to be a part of it, and that was the first time I met her, and 
all she needed to say that she was in a coma and then she was the leader of the Americas with Disability Act. And I thought, I have to have this woman on my show. And I'm so happy to have her in my orbit and to share her with you. So without further ado, Miss Sherry Watson. Sherry Watson, my new friend, welcome to the Get Fucking Real Show. <laughs> Woo, it's such an honor to be with you. Thank you for having me on. This is amazing. I am so excited. We've been texting leading up to the show, and you're so cute. You're like saying the F word. You're like, I love texting the <laughs> F word. It's just <laughs> well, you know, freedom, right? When I first met you, the Get Fucking Real, you know, and, and, and how we know that some people can't say the F word, and that's what it's all about. You're telling whatever people are comfortable with. So we're, you're bringing, so when I spelled it out and I sent it to Lisa, it's so empowering. For me, the strongness you feel when you write it down. Yeah, oh, that's so awesome. So I, I'm so excited for people to meet you and I, to tell your story. And I was saying to you that just reading your bio made me feel a little bit insignificant. And of course, you know, that's just my own stuff. I, what you've accomplished and the path your life has taken is um, just so amazing. I'm so glad to be able to tell your story and to have you represent too, like, you know, my mom says this, it's never too late. Like you're, you're not too old. It's never too late. And, you know, for people that don't have the visual of seeing your just beautiful um, essence and glow, they probably would never imagine how old you are. Um, and well, we could let that unfold in the story or we could just let the cat out of the bag right away. Um, I mean, you've lived like 15 lifetimes um, like from the bio that I, that I shared with everybody before we started. So <laughs> no, I was joking. I was joking with somebody. I was like, you know, all of our episodes are like from something to something. I said, you can't get much um, more uh, d dire than coma other than dead, right? So since we're not going <laughs> to bring anybody back from the dead to share their story, I think coma is about as you know, about as far as we will go um, into the, the before. So yeah, before we get into that, <laughs> <laughs> so funny. So before we get into that, tell us what your life, like t paint us the picture of what your life looked like before it was, it was given this complete, you know, 180 of a, of a, of a path. Well, say it was 38 years ago. So you know, Amazing. Amazing. Years ago, and I was living the all-American dream. I'd been married for a few years. We had our first baby boys. We, our Derek was almost two. He was about 21 months, and Aaron was about eight months old. I was a musician. Music has always been my life. I started playing the piano when I was three, the saxophone when I was 10. So I had a blues band, then I had a music academy our first piano concert with all my students was coming up that next week. So life was great. I, we were in, we had the mortgage payment, the car payment, light bright. We were in debt, like everything. We, we were living the all American dream. <laughs> I like that. We, we were in debt, just like the all American dream, which is so true. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't the car, the house, you know, we had it all. And, um, and so I, 
took off on a Saturday. I grew up out in the country and had always lived down, living on the edge. I love the saying, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. So I truly had lived my life like that with my horses, my four-wheelers and all that. So I'm out, three-wheelers had just come out in the country. This was in the United States. This was when in the 80s, early 80s. And so my husband was staying with our baby boys and I took up on our subdivision where it always rode and right down by the river. And I was coming up over an embankment on a spare lot, vacant lot they hadn't built on yet where I always did. And Lisa, within an instant, I lost control of my life, my destiny. Uh, Tracy got the knock on the door. Some neighbors came up and said, call an ambulance, Sherry's bleeding from the head. So they're thinking stitches, you know, call, drives back down there. And he said the last 20 feet were on his hands and knees. I was laying in a pool of blood and I was an ashen color and I was bleeding from my nose, mouth and ears. So it was, he knew it was severe. So when the paramedics came, the first thing they said they called was the DOA. They couldn't get any kind of pulse or anything. And it was at that point that sitting there, laying there, praying, show us the purpose from here. So from there, we went in the ambulance. I don't remember that. They put the defibrillators on me. They got my heart going again, took me to the emergency room. By then, all my families had come together and they took him to the quiet room and called the chaplain. And they said they can't get me stabilized and probably wasn't going to live. But holding on to that faith, when we know that we have a purpose, we have faith and my everyone there. And so hours, hours later, I was still in the ER. They couldn't get me stabilized. And I don't remember any of this. Thank goodness. And then they came in and told my family, well, if she's a fighter, she has a 50-50 chance. <laughs> she had a room ready. So throughout that, I went through the journey of coma. And back then, they didn't know anything about coma. They hadn't saved hardly any of us because they didn't have the technology. They had, and we didn't even have a definition. Lisa, now it's traumatic brain injury. Back then, they didn't know what to do. And then, so as I laid there in a coma, Lisa, I was trapped in a body that couldn't respond. I was paralyzed. You were aware, like awake. I knew, I knew what was going on, Lisa. Oh was, my gosh. And I learned the power of the mind. I want to bring this out to all of you guys. What a gift I was given. Our mind has so much power in it. And to learn how to take that. So as I laid there in a coma, trapped in the body, and I would... I had machines everywhere and I had a, all the breathing machines and everything for me. I was paralyzed on one side. The one side that worked a little bit, when I would try to like show my family, I wanted to let them know I was in there. They would tie me down and say, oh, she's, that's part of coma. She's agitated. Oh, oh my God. God. <laughs> so I learned so much throughout that journey, the power of the mind. I learned the be still. Lisa, when we talked about the spiritual part of us, our minds are so busy 
we have so much coming at us to be able to sit back and be still and just let your mind declutter. I had that opportunity. It was amazing. So as I, the family would cry and, and talk, and nobody ever talked to me. They'd all be talking about me, you know, oh, she's not gonna live, now her lungs collapse, not gonna live. And I'm lying there thinking, I'm fighting like hell in here. I can't, I need to let them know how sad for them, they're so helpless. You know, I'm the one that was in there fighting and I wanted to let them know. Wow, I just have to like pause and like, I just had my mind scrambled when you said you felt sorry for them that they were so trapped in their story about your struggle and like, like that you laying there in a coma trapped in your body, you were feeling sorry for them and you were feeling empowered. Yes. Wow. Yes, I felt so strong inside. I knew that I was going to come back for a reason. My thing was to let them know I'm okay, you know? And so just that power of the mind to learn the things we think are impossible, it's only up here that's setting those limits. So that's been an incredible journey. So relearning how to walk, how to talk, how to swallow, Lisa. So you were, so you were in the coma, I think you said to me, was it three weeks? Or? Yeah, about a month. Yeah. a month. Yeah. And then when, when I realized how long this journey was going to be, they came to get me in intensive care and they said, we're going to take her to physical therapy. I'm like, yeah, I'm improving. I couldn't talk yet or anything. And so they lifted me up, lifted me over, stuck me in a wheelchair, tied me into it because my body wouldn't do anything and took me down to physical therapy and laid me on a mat and said, well, for the next few months, we're going to teach her how to roll like a baby. And then when she gets good at that, a few months later, we'll teach her how to crawl. And then a few months later, it was a multi-year process. I was given the gift of having everything taken away. It was a brainstem injury with a closed head injury. So everything in your brainstem affects all of your natural, your breathing, all the things that are natural were no longer natural. My swallowing, it's not, it's still not natural. You have to think and tell myself how to do it. So I learned the power of our, of our brain too. Whoever would have thought about swallowing? I didn't. You know, you're born, you swallow. How do you learn something you've never had to learn? So I learned at an early age, Lisa, what we take for granted. And it's given me such a different, beautiful perspective on life, learning how to swallow, relearning how to walk. It wasn't like TV where they wake up out of coma and go, hey guys, I had to relearn how to talk. Took me two years, my tongue was paralyzed. I had to learn how to form words by where I placed my tongue, Lisa. My first exercise were la, ta, ka. You guys, everybody do that. Lisa, do that. Okay. La, ta, ta, ta. And do you see how your tongue goes to the front of your teeth? La, ka. And I had to learn how to form words with where you put your tongue. I'm, I, I'm, I'm really like replaying what you said about how do you learn something 
that you never learned? Like how, how do you, how do you relearn something you never learned? And what a metaphor for freaking life that is, right? Especially when you are learning things like your mind is super powerful and can create your experience. And you're like, well, that's bullshit, right? Like you, you know, are when we are trying to um, feel abundant when our bank account is zero, when we were trying to, when, when you were laying there and couldn't talk and you knew I am, I'm, I'm, I'm going to live for a purpose. That is my reality. And like you, we are learning things. We are relearning things that we never really consciously learned, um, on multiple levels, right? Spiritual level, physical level. Yeah. Wow. So you were, you were being set up. Um, you, you said to me when we were talking before, you said, your purpose finds you. So, yeah. so take us to how your purpose began to find you. When did you start, you know, kind of seeing um, sort of the, the bits of evidence of why you were saved? It was interesting when it, I'd been in the hospital for so long, and then they transferred me to an acute rehabilitation center. And at that time, you can imagine 30-some years ago, they didn't have the fancy rehab centers like now, focused on brain injury and this and that. It was like one flew over the cuckoo's nest. It was like a mental institution they took me to. Wow. And so my family parked me in my wheelchair at the hospital, and they went to the rehab, and they were gone forever. And I didn't realize it was in the basement, in a tunnel. They have to go through brick walls with pipes exposed. And they came back and to get me, and they were like, so freaked out. And they're going, oh, now, now don't freak out. Don't worry. When go. And I'm like, oh, this is not good. So they take me down this long tunnel, and it's so scary. And like dirt everywhere and stuff because the hospital's nice but you have to go to the town I go up to the fifth floor and the door opens and all these people are that have halos around their heads and braces and and they're making noises you know like animals and stuff they're all at the elevator waiting to get on and I still couldn't talk I still nobody knew if I really what I had mentally, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, they don't know I'm all that there. And I thought it was, it really was like that scene in One Flew was Cuckoo's Nest. So as I got settled and just was scared to death, that mindset, you know, think about our mindset. I learned how to take your mindset, and it really makes a difference when you shift your thinking, the gratefulness versus the whining and snivelly. So as I, <laughs> you know, really. I like how you put that, gratefulness versus whining and snivelly, yeah. <laughs> and so as I lay there, I thought, you know, I'm, I've got to get out of this fear. You know, if I'm going to truly make, go back into life, I can't let fear drive me. So here I am, a young woman, can't walk or talk. And you have two little kids at home or, you know, don't have their mother. That must have been awful. That was my motivation to get out of rehab. So at that point was when I knew we're all people. I need to get to know folks in here. We're going to hang out together for a while. So 
So I let go of that fear and I started going in and meeting, going to other rooms and meeting a, a gentleman who spent 40 years as a counselor uh, for in DWI and, and really was with AA counseling and that moved to Phoenix and he got hit by a drunk driver and he was, had been in a coma and all he could do was spell. So I got to know Ralph really well. There's another lady I went and met who'd had a stroke that started my journey of the healing for me. It wasn't what I had intended. I wanted to go out and be a part of a community, bring us together. What I didn't envision, this is for all of you guys, when you're living on purpose, it's so healing for you. And purpose, when we were talking before, people get so hung up on purpose. We have a company called The Power of Purpose and our purpose consultants every day talk to people and they say, oh, I'm not sure what my purpose is or I'm not. Purpose finds you. Purpose is part of your journey in life where you can go help others. It's so simple. Like the Alchemist, one of my favorite books, one's only obligation is to find their purpose. So for me to go be with others that were on the same journey. And from that, Lisa, that's what led into first setting up my first nonprofit corporation. And here I was a girl with wearing a patch and then towels tied around me. I drooled all the time because I was paralyzed. My whole face was paralyzed. So I drooled. They put sweatsuits and high top tennis shoes on me and they'd, tried to put makeup on me and I looked like a clown. I had two pink cheeks. So I learned to let go of fear and never give up. And through that was the biggest thing in my journey, Lisa. And that's what I see. So, so many people won't go out and take their purpose like you did. Change everything. Get fucking real. You know, it's like, come on. And that is what what purpose is really about and it's so fulfilling i've had the most beautiful life for 35 years because i've lived purpose and i hear you also looked around at i mean when that elevator opened into that scene and one flew, flew over the cuckoo's nest and all of these people with their you know various you know how you know i i kind of got this feeling of like you know a sort of like a room full of you know um monsters or you know like it's just sort of this like, right and then and then you and then you deciding like these are my people <laughs> i'm here too these are my people with my pink cheeks and my drooling mouth and and you know creating that community and and really um jettisoning any pr prior judgments or perceptions that you had of these people right which is really leading up to the activism part of you that kicked in um, that is just so phenomenal what, what, where you went from here. So you, um, you start your very first um, nonprofit uh, and, and the purpose of that nonprofit was what? Was to empower, um, I love their mission, to improve the lives of people with disabilities, their families and the communities they live in. 
So it was really a place to bring us all together. That's how we started. And then we did hospital visitation. Then we'd sit with folks laying in comas and say, look, we've been there. We'd go to meet with families and bring potlucks. It was just like building a community. You know, it's not complicated. It wasn't, or I'm going to build a tribe and a movement and all these moving parts. No, it's grassroots. And that, Lisa, that's what I see in coming up with solutions for the opiate epidemic, for the veteran suicides, for the farmer's suicide, for our healthcare system that's out of control. People are working from the top down. You know, we're meeting with the UN, we're meeting with the president, we're meeting with, nothing's happening. We built our movement, Grassroots Coalition, the power of the people. We were the lowest man on the totem pole 30 years ago, no voice, no political power, no money, and we only lived in institutions and nursing homes. We could say, when you say we, tell us who you're talking about. 54 million Americans, people with disabilities, seniors, are 54 million Americans. So this isn't some little tiny movement. This was a whole paradigm shift in the way this country saw us. Before we were victims, we were tragic waste. Even when I was president of our national organization in Washington, DC, New York Times was running front page articles from our industry saying, send us your tragic waste. Send us your impossible patient. We're like, uh-uh, that's not us. And that's when we learned the power of our grassroots and brought in people like Jim Brady and Gary Busey. And then Harrison Ford did a movie regarding Henry based on our story. So we started getting the rest of the country involved with this. That movement was like none other. We did a civil rights legislation that is the biggest that's ever been done in this world. And people didn't do it for us. People didn't take care of us. And what I see so much in the nonprofit world now with what we're doing, people say there's charities and, oh, we'll make a bunch of men and we'll donate to, so then go feed those poor people. We started that one nonprofit and led it as a business. We built our business instead of a C Corp or LLC or building our business, we built it in a nonprofit corporation that allowed us to become partners with state legislators, with state agency directors, that allowed us to start getting that million dollar grant because we were side by side with the Department of Health. They were granting us the money so we could go show a new paradigm. And we led the way, Lisa. So that one nonprofit led up to 800 nonprofit corporations we set up around the country, all people with disabilities. We put in law, 51% of the board must be people with disabilities. Majority of our staff must be. This wasn't about somebody taking care of those poor people. This was a movement that we set out and said nothing about us without us. And listen, nothing when I, about us without us. Yeah. Beautiful. 
So, so, oh my God, this, this is so amazing. And, and, and <laughs> you, you, you know, whenever I hear the story of a like billion dollar companies, they're like, oh, we started in our garage. I'm always like, can you, can you, can you connect more of the dots for me between like your billion dollar company and you starting in your garage? So, and you, you're doing, you're doing great. And I want to connect a couple dots for our listeners um, that I happen to know about. So you formed your, your, your local nonprofit that launched um, 800 nonprofits around the country, all partnering with their governments. And then at some point you become the president of the national disability organization in Washington, DC, and then um, create the sweeping legislation that we now know as the Americas with Disabilities Act. So can you connect a couple of the dots from what you were doing in New Mexico and, and, and your first nonprofit and propagating um, and this movement to, to where, like, to getting to Washington, right? Because, because what's so inspiring about what you're saying, and I really hope that people whose their wormhole journey is, is calling them to a purpose of, you know, that could be um, helped by a, a 501c3, which, which we're going to share some tools that you have for them around that. I, I hope that this is inspiring them and showing them that it is a bottom up type thing. And you did get to the top. So I want, how did that happen? <laughs> well, when we built a really simple mission, free our people. Lisa, when I looked at your 12 commandments and I mean, I'm loving those, man, I got them right next to me. Get fucking real commandments. One of the commandments that really hit me in that wormhole I was in was having everybody like you, you know, wanting to be and that's how I'd always grown up. I think it's number three or four in your GFR. Yes. Don't and worry about being normal, proper, yeah. or polite. <laughs> yeah. So, so I always wanted everyone to like me and love me. And, and so I would always care about whatever for everyone else. Well, now when you have such a strong mission, free our people, when I would go into institutions and I'd see all these young kids laying there like, like me, except my family said, heck no, and they moved me home. That was my only choice. And I see people laying there under their beds, scared to death, shaking. Another girl, they were pouring Clorox down her throat because she kept making noises. That's where my community lived. Wow. And we as taxpayers, so the rest, we're paying 100 to 400,000 a year to warehouse people out of sight, out of mind. And we had less rights than criminals. We couldn't get our mail. We couldn't do a phone call unless we were good. And they gave us tokens. And Oh, my gosh. Craziness. So, again, when you've got a strong mission and when you're connected with the people, when, when it's not like the veterans community. So many, oh, I'm going to set up a nonprofit and help those poor veterans. That's not what this is about. So when I tell you that we had 800, that one nonprofit we started, and then we find out there's another group over here in Las Cruces, and then there's a group in Chicago, and then there's a group in Washington, because we hadn't been saved for that long. So we just we were either sitting in back bedrooms or institutions and nursing homes. We got Geraldo involved. We started doing exposés like on Willowbrook, showing what's happened and it made no sense economically Lisa 
our biggest budget in this country is Medicaid. Medicaid is what is making us go bankrupt. Well, yeah, if we as entrepreneurs, if we let our business like they were doing us and paying 100 to 400,000 to lock us away, we'd be bankrupt in a month. So that's where our movement started. You know, set up a nonprofit, let's do some advocacy, let's start getting people out, let's see what kind of resources, because we didn't have a world that was ready for us. We didn't have a world where we could be equal participants. We didn't want to be special, handy, capable, all that kind. We spent a year going around the country, meeting with our community, helping the nonprofits that were led, talking about language. What do we want to be called? We're people with disabilities. So that movement, there's a lot. It's so cool at the grassroots level when you're meeting with people that it's about their life. It's about them controlling their life and destiny. And they're part of, talk about skin in the game. This is their life. And so that 800 nonprofits, Lisa, the myth out there that they're charities and we minimum for our rural, rural nonprofits was $250,000 budget a year. Most nonprofits were a million, five million, 40 million a year. My friend in Chicago, her nonprofit, business, it's a business entity. It's not a charity, $40 million a year. Now, what's bigger about that for those of you stay with us to make the really systemic change, we've got to get connected with legislators, with state agency directors. It's amazing. I meet with the top of the top influencers and thought leaders. This isn't the world they've been in. But Lisa, the only way we're going to bring break those cycles like the recidivism or juvenile justice. I'll give you an example. We have a nonprofit um, serving. She's a doctorate in education. She knows our education system's broken. She set up a nonprofit with this, bringing in a whole new training modality for our kids, right? In her community, the state legislators, they're our business partners. Think of them as your shareholders, your investors, your business partners, okay? They were putting $10 million into building a new juvenile justice center there at downtown. That's our money. That's our tax dollars. They're going to the state agency. They're going to take our tax dollars and build a new jail to teach kids how to be criminals. Does that make sense? So we have that connection with them. Went to them and said, look, we've got a nonprofit led by a doctor who's going to bring this change. Redirect a million dollars to the, and we'll show you how we can break that cycle. So it's our tax dollar. It's our money. Now we're bringing it into a way that brings solutions and empowers people again. Wow. And so educational for me and probably many of our listeners. So I, I just want to underscore what I'm hearing you say is that 
when you have the 501c3 corporation, you, that, that having that entity allows us to partner with the government, allows us to partner with legislation, allows us to receive grants, allows us to, like, it creates a conduit for us to receive funds and um, that are already earmarked, that are already, you know, in circulation because of, the, you know, our contribution to the government. Um, so that's what I'm hearing you say. Is that right? Oh, that's the perfect way to put it. And Lisa, they need us. They need all of you guys. We do, I got a call yesterday from Washington, D.C., because I have a lot of friends that are running now the agencies. Another $2 billion was put to, into the opiate crisis. And it's like they called and said, help. What nonprofits do you have? Because majority of all grant money, and we're talking billions right now, only eligible entities are nonprofit corporations. Hospitals, universities, Sesame Street, IKEA, those are all nonprofit corporations. IKEA is a nonprofit corporation? Yes. yes. Wow. <laughs> yeah. In, in universities. So what, what we teach, what we always did in, in, in our disability community, teaching this now going out, we had a for-profit and non-profit. I was certified 20-some years ago as a public-private partnership trainer at the national level, and we developed the low-income housing tax credits. Because, Lisa, when we start saying, well, okay, we're going to be equal participants, then we started looking at our world. There was no housing. There were no curb cuts. There was no accessibility. There was nothing. So we had to start developing systems, which because we were partnered with state legislators, with Congress in Washington, D.C., we would sit with Department of Treasury and we would say, look, we can't get any loans or anything because we're not having a credit. We just got left a nursing home. So we set up a new banking system with Department of Treasury. And I became the first nonprofit bank partnered with my friend who had a community bank, gave loans to people who were just getting out of our nursing homes so they could get their assistive technology in a van. So it was always a business. And it was always looking at the economics. What we're doing is not working. How can we fix that? But if, so our- The power of the mind right there, right? Rethinking, yes, being willing yes. to just reimagine and rethink. Oh, it is reimagining a whole new world to bring solutions. And your listeners are the best folks. Man, you guys, entrepreneurs, people that are, that are coming up with ideas. And join us in the nonprofit. We need you. And it's not charity. We are dispelling the myth that, yes. that 501c3 are charities. That is, we are taking a stand on this on this show today. Um, and thank you for being the voice of that. And so you're um, so sort of coming a little bit full circle. I mean, you're so not done. So there's no full circle here <laughs> to present coming to present. How about that? So, so the power of purpose um, company that you have now, my understanding is your mission is this education around 5013C and like you're taking all of your amazing accomplishments being appointed by President Bush to a special task force that raised over 130 million dollars you know being president of the National Disability Association getting the America's Disability Act you're taking all of this experience 
this movement that you have like profitized really it's amazing um and now you are your intention is to get into the entrepreneur community to educate us yes right and there's so many entrepreneurs that i meet that are like it's funny you know i I, uh, I had to create this distinction in my coaching with people that are really fired up about their cause because they'd get so fired about the cause they would forget about the cash. And I'd be like, okay, you're, it's great you're fired up, but, but you need it just have a little bit more awareness about the things that are, that are nonprofit, that are where you are donating your time and the things that are cash. And, 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 it's, and it's these types of entrepreneurs that I'm referring to that I think would benefit most from the place that you are now and the stand that you're taking now, because some of these entrepreneurs shouldn't be in, in a for-profit structure because they're, they're cutting themselves off from monies that could really activate their mission. Oh man, Lisa, that, and working the two entities together. Right. Have, I'll give you an example, a great example. Cause I've always done this. When we first went, we got the longer housing tax credit. So we could build housing. Think about it, 30 years ago, we didn't have apartments and condos and townhouses and all that. So we did tax credits with Congress. And again, you guys, it's not like I had this business plan and strategic plan and I knew all the phases I was going to go through and which division plan. No, when you're on purpose, man, the doors kept opening faster than we could get through. And so we didn't have all this in our head. We're not that smart, we learned to always be the one in the room that knew the less, and we would build power teams. And so when we did the tax credits, we brought in passive investors, and then the nonprofit we'd come in. Who would we go to? We went to Warren Buffett. We didn't know, you know, we had- <laughs> Hey, why not just start with Warren Buffett? <laughs> and it was so awesome, and when I tell you, we learned how to let go of fear, there were no limits. We had no limits. And so who would we, well, okay, the guy that has the most money to see if, what he thinks of it. And the first meeting, it was kind of like all the little community service people and, you know, kind of like that little pat on the head we get. And when we start talking about the passive investor and the ROI and that, they're like, uh, let's, we need to meet tomorrow. 20 of us financial um, staff were there the next day. And wow. they contributed more than, and out of that, now we syndicate billions of dollars a year in tax credits. And look at all the housing we have around this country. So again, we don't have the solutions, but partnering with state legislators, partnering with Congress, going to them just like we do in our for-profit businesses. We join a mastermind. We bring in a consultant. It's the same thing except with this. I've always made more money in my nonprofit. All of our students now are making more money in their nonprofit. All right, can you say that again? Say that again. I I've have always made more money in my nonprofit corporation than my for-profit. All right, nonprofit. It has a bad rap. That just it needs to, it needs a new name. Nonprofit as a bad publicist. <laughs> well, you know, and you know where that name comes from. It's really called the only legal difference. The only legal difference between the entities is the way you distribute your profits. That's the only difference. So when you're for profit, either your investors, shareholders, owners, whoever, founders, you're going to distribute. In a nonprofit. 
My last one, I had a two two and a half million dollar investment portfolio. We were making a fifty thousand dollar a month passive income in my nonprofit corporation. So we kept the profits within, which is amazing. My team was paid more than any accounting employees. My team had more benefits, 40 employees and 400 contractors. So I wasn't a little charity and it wasn't something like a big business plan. When you're on purpose, when you're doing this, there's more money, Lisa. There's more revenue streams in the nonprofit than all of them put together. There's more purse strings in the nonprofit than all yeah. of them put together. Yeah. Wow. Oh, I am, I am, I, uh, I feel like my hair is being blown back <laughs> by possibility. <laughs> oh, this is so great though. Thank you. I mean, you guys, what we talked about was getting through that myth that they're charities. And when I become philanthropist, I'll give to so they can feed those poor people. We're the social consciousness of the world. Think nonprofit corporations, we, we contribute. We're third in the, in the country right now with GDP. We're a huge industry. If you look at some of the biggest of the biggest think tanks, all that, led by some of our top thought leaders, they're all nonprofit corporations. So I wanna open you guys up to the possibilities and keeping your for-profit. We have one of our groups, um, he has a for-profit contracting business. Okay, he's been doing it for 25 years. He calls and said, my wife and I wanna do more. Our daughter's graduating. And he said, what's this nonprofit thing? He never thought that. But his whole family is veterans. And we said, the nonprofit, you can partner with the VA. You can change that broken system. You can bring the veterans in to lead the way. So we set up the nonprofit. So we go to the state capitol. We meet with the state housing agency. He just got a no nursing home donated to his nonprofit. We do, wow. we do charitable giving of real estate. We have proprietary software. We've done $30 million worth of real estate in the last year or so for nonprofits. So that's another funding stream. When I say there's more funding than ever. So he got this vacant nursing home donated. Now we need money to renovate it. We're going to do transitional living. We're going to eradicate homelessness for veterans. So because this is my world, I take him, we, I do connecting visits. We go to the state capitol, meet with state housing, just like you guys in the for-profit meet with their capital partners or the, the fund you're going to work with. We met with the state housing. There are entrepreneurs. They built a $3 billion endowment. They, they get federal and state money. Again, our tax dollars. They had, and I said, I know the low-income housing trust fund just got funded with Congress. We worked on eight years ago and they got funded. And he goes, we just got our first $3 million we pulled down last month. Okay. Now here we are with a nonprofit corporation, a business leader. He's, it's not a charity. It's not a bake sale thing. So <laughs> they feel comfortable going, okay, he's going to be good steward of the money. They're businessmen and women at the state agency. And they say, we, we can come to your place tomorrow. 
we don't have a shovel ready project, we can get that three million to you and then we can pull down more money and take, put the state on the map. Now his, listen to this, his for-profit contracting company will be hired by the nonprofit to come in and do the renovation. Wow. Play together. And wow. it happens every day with hospitals. They're a nonprofit, they're for-profit radiology, for-profit lab, universities. Their nonprofits get all that grant money in. They have for-profit patent centers. They're worth billions a year. A for-profit bookstore. It's all, but as entrepreneurs, as business leaders, so we've been helping like Home Depot years ago set up Home Depot Foundation. It's a business strategy. When we set that up, they 2,500 stores, every week they were filling our landfills. They would go stuff out of stock or new spring and summers, you know, and they would throw it away. We got to set up the foundation where now they donated it to local homeless shelters, shelters that were serving our youth. And the first quarter, we went to a big Fortune 100, 500 company with our training. They were able to say we invested 600000 and the first quarter we received $5.2 million. It's a business strategy. I want you guys to hear that loud and clear. It's not a charity. It's not a bake sale. It's not I'll do good and then help those poor people. This is a powerful business model that you can grow, live your purpose, and have more abundance than you've ever had. Ah, Sherry, you're like a beautiful evangel evangelist angel for nonprofit <laughs> and purpose. And uh, all right, so I'm totally fired up. I'm so excited that you and I met and I mean all I had to hear was that you were in a coma and then you got the National with Disability the American with Disabilities Act um, created and I was like I have to tell your story so I'm so so I, I so I'm, I'm like going along the journey um, with everybody else so um, so what would be a final so yeah what would be a final thought that you want to that you want to leave our listeners with um, on this in this get fucking real space that we're in together well, this is so awesome, you guys. I, the journey um, to share with you guys that in, everyone can do this. And it was 15 years ago when you asked about the power of purpose. It was when I was at a disability summit in Phoenix, a housing summit. I had, we had seven affordable housing projects going on at once. Um, one of our congressmen, we were the first one that did a carpet credit exchange. One of the most beautiful 200-unit complexes in the country got featured at NeighborWorks. We're a nonprofit. We're a co-developer. We're doing affordable housing all over, mixed use, mixed income, right? Then my sons were at a um, real estate training, and so I went over there to that. And every 90 minutes, a different speaker would come up, and it was like a sellathon. It was like, tear down those Section 8s and build condos and lots, and you'll make billions. And, and nobody ever mentioned partner with the mayor, partner with the state. You'll get more incentives. You'll make more money than 
ever could any other way. And so I thought, you know what? We need to be teaching these young entrepreneurs the power of partnering. You can make more impact, more money by doing this and taking my... So that's when we started the Power of Purpose to teach entrepreneurs how to make the impact. Like you said, people want to live their purpose. People are trying to make a bunch of money so they can really do what they want. Yes. You know, what we're teaching people is do what you want and right now, and there's so much money. There's more money here, Lisa, than any other business. So my message, to my thing, when I just saw something with them, um, I love this quote with Zig Ziglar, and I want you to really think about this when you're thinking about purpose and your journey, and we're here with you every step of the way. Lisa and I are going to be connected for life. Zig Ziglar says, when you focus on problems, you get more problems. When you focus on possibilities, you have unlimited opportunities. And that's so true. We didn't focus on our problems, Lisa. We focus on what the new world would look like. And then we set out to make it happen. Mm. Ah, thank you, Sherry Watson. You are a walking miracle. And I'm so glad that you are in my orbit. And now you're going to be in all of our listeners' orbits. So thank oh, you. Oh, man, Lisa. Thank, and thanks for being who you are. I mean, people, you guys, it's time to get fucking real. We're hurting. <laughs> Really, this, yes, what I want from this, that number three and number four in the GFR, it's like when you have a purpose and a mission that strong, it doesn't matter. You don't care if you're normal or want to be like, it's about your mission. We need you guys in this country. I mean, we're, we're blessed and grateful to be where we are, but we need help. Uh, we have many, many broken systems. So, Lisa, I look forward to us on this journey together. And you guys take action now. Don't wait. It's the folks that wait that never get to live their purpose. Mm. Perfect way to end. Thank you, Sherry Watson. Big hugs to you. Thank you for everything. Oh, my gosh. My hair is still blowing back with the indoctrination that we all just got around nonprofits and the power of the 501c3 corporation and how it could fuel our missions. Oh my gosh, I am, I'm, I'm so fired up. I want you to know that there's a link in the show notes to a free nonprofit web class that Sherry is offering my listeners and it covers the six steps to launch and create a nonprofit. So if this is inspiring at all, please take action and go check that out. Um, she also talked about her favorite commandment around don't worry about being normal, proper, or polite. And I want to make sure that you know to go grab, if you have not grabbed your full set of all 12 commandments in our beautiful color graphic that many of our listeners have displayed in their offices or in their life in a prominent position, please make sure you go download that at gfr.life forward slash 12C. And for our GFR squad members, you guys are going to be super excited. She does a segment for you on the truth behind the nonprofit myth. 
And I did not realize how prejudiced I was against nonprofits because I like believed, you know, usually hear these things about myths and you're like, I didn't believe that. I believed all these myths that she basically dispels. Um, It's a special segment for our GFR squad members. And if you want to be close to me in my GFR journey, which is not always pretty, but (laughs) it's real, um, and be in conversation around Sherry's episode and all our other episodes, please join us in the squad. Go to gfr.life forward slash squad. It starts at only 20 bucks a month. Totally worth it. We get to get connected each month on our confession call and lots of other goodies. And our swag is available. I'm super excited. All right. It has been a delight and I will see you next week.